much love. I'm the son of a third generation farmer. I've been married 10 years to the farmer's daughter. I'm a God-fearing, hard-working combine driver, hogging up the road on my pa-pa-pa-pa plower, chug-a-lug-a-lugging five miles an hour on my international harvester. It's episode 430. <laughs> that means episode 30 of season four. And Julie, you might not know this, but it's our 100th episode this week. What? What? Yeah, 100. Woo. Woo. Oh my God, we did the thing. We did the thing. That's... I didn't want to spoil it for you, but it's episode 100. Oh my God. Of all our episodes. That's like, yeah. wowzers. That's at minimum 100 hours of chit chatting <laughs> and thousands yeah. of people choosing to listen to our 100 hours of chit chatting. That's exciting. And you know what? We could, that's, that's 100 episodes that our boy Joshua has mastered and edited and oh my god done all the things what an an angel angel, what an absolute angel i mean we just we don't pay him a cent we do not pay him a cent no it's a damn shame but like what what a baby what an angel yeah what a sweet sweet little peanut thanks Mm, so we're gonna dedicate this episode to joshua absolutely which is very unfortunate because our theme this week not great, Joshua. I'm sorry to report. <laughs> sorry, you don't get a cool episode, Josh. <laughs> sorry. You didn't get cool cryptids or anything like that. What did we do this week, Renee? Oh, we did Cinderella, but it not really like in the Disney sense. Well, mine kind of was, but. Oh, okay. Um, the reason, tell tell our lovely listeners, why did we choose Cinderella? Well, okay, so because, you know, there are themes in romance novels, you know, there's mm-hmm. always like the Highlander and, and you know, like daddy <laughs> and all these things. Cinderella is one that comes up all the time on the titles of books, like yeah. Cinderella's cervical cap, Cinderella's <laughs> uh, planter's fasciitis, like it's <laughs> Cinderella's everything, right? Um like especially in a harlequin silhouette romance context and i mean we could have done like a magic slipper and and a a mice and a fairy godmother we could have done that we could have we could still yeah um however this this I think the idea behind the cinderella in the title is like a rags to riches kind of scenario yes absolutely and you specifically found two like hardcovers at a vintage store uh mm. and you mailed me one and okay. you mailed me a number of them so this you know for og listeners you know the story but renee and i were going thrifting because that's what we do and we saw a mint harlequin collection at a value village and that's what sparked the idea of us doing the podcast so occasionally one of us but it's mostly you will find some gems and they're in a pair of similar themes. And so you'll send me a box of like, here's a selection of random themed books. I have the pair so we can choose that. So you found these books with Cinderella Mm -hmm. and I still have the sticky note that you put inside of it. I don't know if you recall. um, I don't. But you put a sticky note in all of them. And because you are the funniest person I know, instead of just saying the theme is Cinderella, you literally just wrote so many fucking books with Cinderella in the title and then just left it at that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not wrong. You're um, absolutely yeah. correct. Um, <laughs> and my book has the look and feel of every single romance book cliche. Um, Amazing. Do you want to hear about it? I really do. Do you want to hear about Cinderella's secret baby? (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) So Cinderella's secret baby was written by Carolyn Zane. It was published in 1998. And it is part of the Brubaker Brides Collection. And it's from Silhouette Romance, which 
you can just assume it's sort of like Harlequin to our listeners who aren't familiar. Um, and whew, okay. Okay. So <laughs> Cinderella's baby. And it's the Brewbaker Brides collection, but this one can be a standalone, but I guess if you read the others, the characters are connected. So Mac Brewbaker is the second eldest son. <laughs> Mac Brewbaker is the second eldest son of Big Daddy Brewbaker. (laughs) 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 He is the CEO of the oil refinery division. They are billionaire oil tycoons from Texas. And meanwhile, Ms. Ella McCloskey is a new hire at the Brewbaker Kitchen. And she is a very talented pastry chef and she was working at a rundown diner and Big Daddy Brewbaker ate her food and couldn't get enough and so he was like I'm taking you away to work at my ranch because you're too talented to be here and Ella McCloskey oh, when I get to the excerpt you'll really <laughs> you'll get a flavor for what the fuck this was so Ella McCloskey meets Mac Brewbaker in the kitchen and it's Insta Sparks. They're in love. He's like, I've never, oh my god, I've never been felt this way when anyone in it. So they also meet because she saves him from eating dog food, which he eats and is like, she's like, don't eat that. And he's like, why? I know it's almost dinner time. Like he's like a fucking child. And she's like, you're eating puppy chow. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, bitch, red flag. Like, (laughs) red flag. Anyways, she uh, was born in England, but her mom died in childbirth. And her dad moved her back to the U.S., to California specifically, where he remarried. And she gained a wicked stepmother and stepsisters. And I'm going to read you an excerpt about her family because it literally made me groan out loud. It was so cringe. So they really hit it off, but Big Daddy, which is what they call him without irony throughout this entire fucking book. And I just picture like a Yosemite Sam looking motherfucker. But anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I should picture like Kevin Costner from Yellowstone or something, but no, I just picture like fucking Yosemite Sam. Anyways, they really hit it off and they're both like, oh yeah, this is a or whatever. And it's all, like, the cliches of, like, she's so, like, meek, but still beautiful. And, like, she's beautiful, but she doesn't know she's beautiful. Like, all that bullshit. But Big Daddy really wants him to marry this woman named Holly, who is, uh, also comes from a wealthy rancher family. They've lived nearby. They grew up together. And he's like, this is a perfect parent. They both come from the same kin, kind of, like, a pr- basically, she's also rich, and it's good for the community. Um, and meanwhile, Mac is like, I like Holly, but like, I haven't seen her since we were kids. And meanwhile, this woman's just firing off every goddamn firework for me. Um, so Bertha, who is the head fucking maid at this place, (laughs) Jesus Christ. So Bertha is the head cook and she sees the like stars in their eyes and the way that they're flirty with each other. And she tells her, she's like, girl, don't, don't you dare. They're, they only marry rich in this family and you're very sweet, but you don't come from much. And like, he's going to use and abuse you because you're not good enough for him according to them. So, but she's like, no. So after two months of knowing each other, they go and sneak off and have one of their little makeout sessions. And then he's like, fuck it. Let's elope. And she's like, but, but mackerel. I don't know what Mac is Mac, but we'll call it mackerel. (laughs) But mackerel. No, we can't. And he's like, I can do whatever I want. I'm fucking rich. I'm a goddamn oil tycoon. (laughs) Pew, pew, pew. (laughs) Pistols in the sky or whatever. I don't know. Clearly I've never been to the Southern U.S. Um, So they elope that night, but then again, red flag number fucking two, they come back to his cottage and they get ready to like make love for the first time. And it's like a total cutaway scene. So you have, there's no sex. So you're like, well, that's a fucking bummer. And then they're like in blissful, which I was like, if you're a virgin, that's just not blissful. But anyways, um, then he's like, let's keep it a secret. Now, ladies, 
ladies and queers listening to this. If you are with someone who does not want to be with you in public, run. Do not walk away from this person. That is like my biggest advice that I give to young women is like never prioritize being nice over feeling safe and never do anything with someone who wouldn't be proud to say it in public. So anyways, Ella did not listen to my advice. And she was like, oh, and he was like, well, I just want to enjoy this time, you and I, and then we'll try to find someone to replace you at the kitchen. And then we'll announce it and you can quit and you can be the my wife and birth all my children and basically just be fucking subservient to me. And she's like, okay, bats her eyelashes. But then he gets up the next day to go to work, kisses his new wife, leaves, comes back after work. And all of her stuff is gone except for one shoe. No. <laughs> and it's a fucking slipper, like a literal slipper. <laughs> I'm picturing either the 80s, like, remember those like ballet flat slippers that we used to wear? It's <laughs> with the grips at the bottom. I'm either picturing one of those. Or I'm going in the complete other direction and I'm picturing like the ones that are like a stuffed minion or whatever that it's just like, <laughs> like Shrek or whatever. Oh. And the person's just like, just one Shrek slipper. Anyways. And he's like, oh. <laughs> you know what? sorry, I need to tell you what I'm picturing. Yes. Tell so me. So my, my grandma used to knit like crochet. Yes. These slippers that were super stretchy if they fit anybody and she'd have a basket of them. Yes! And you could not come in her house. But it was the same, it was the same material they used to wrap around hangers. Yes. You remember? Yes. That's what I'm picturing. One of those <laughs> Mamere looking masks that you just leave on the floor. Yes, that's or, what I'm picturing. Or sometimes they would zhuzh it up and put a little pom-pom on the top. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it was always, yeah, in like a basket by the door because <laughs> grandmas always just get their little tootsies, get real cold. And I am now a 37-year-old single woman with no children, and I recently went out and bought little slippy slips to keep at my house because I'm like, well, people come over and they think it's cold. And I literally was at the store like, bitch, you are a mare and you are 37 years old. But I'm like, whatever, my feet will be toasty when people come over. I have, I have a slipper basket, and it's got everything <laughs> from like moccasins to my like bright purple Ugh, flip flop <laughs> slip on slippers that are platforms. It's got anything you need. Any anything you're feeling that day, it's in the basket. To whatever your mood is, you could be warm and also scratch an itch at Renee's house. One hundred percent. Well, picture Ain't nobody being cold in my house. <laughs> picture one of these. Now again, she's in Texas. I don't think this bitch even needs slippers. But anyways, one single solitary slipper has been left behind, <laughs> and he's like. Oh no, where is my wife? And so then he's on a mission. <laughs> and then he finds a note that says, basically, this was a mistake. Never contact me. And he's like, what the fuck happened? So then he hires a private investigator to try to track down his wife. And the PI responds comes to his house and he is entertaining Holly for the summer. And why is that? Well, because the family wanted her to come over for the supper for the summer. And so they're supposed to be having this courtship, but he straight up told Holly the truth. He's like, look, I married someone. And then she dashed out on me. I'm still trying to find her. If I find her, I want to be with her. And she's like, great no offense, but I don't really want to marry you either. But if we kind of pretend that we're like wooing each other, maybe it'll just buy us some time and our parents will fucking leave us alone. And they're like, deal. And so he's at this party pretending to be wooing this woman, but he doesn't actually give a shit. And the PI shows up and says, oh my God, I found her. So he goes to find her and it turns out she's only a hundred miles away working at a diner. So it's called Uncle Clyde's Diner and Pie Shop. And he shows up there and unbeknownst to him, as he was driving there, Ella was taking a break from working at the restaurant, opened up the newspaper, and there was an engagement announcement <gasps> between Mackerel and Holly. So she's oh like, this God. fucking guy, like... Wow, he moved on real quick. It's been only a few months. 
Well, Mac barges into the restaurant and notices. Notices what, Renee? Ella is super fucking pregnant. (gasps) Oh, my God. And he's like, oh, my God, is that my baby? And then Clyde, the extremely old and decrepit. I'm thinking really described as sort of a Nosferatu looking character. Nice. He pretends to be her husband to be like, I don't know who you are, sir, but you leave her alone. That's my baby. That's my wife. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, there's no fucking way. And she's like, yeah, I love him. And he's like, I don't buy it. So he leaves and then engages in some low-key stalking by hanging out in his truck in the front of the restaurant and then notices that she lives above it. So comes back to her house and is like, tell me the truth. Why did you leave me? Is that my baby? And she's like, I, I, I don't. Uh, uh, uh. And then they just start making out. And then she's like, I can't tell you the truth. It is your baby. But I, I, I can't say any more than that. And he's like, why did you leave me? And she's like, I can't say. And so he leaves, continues to sleep in his fucking truck. And then the next night, he sees the light go on in her apartment. And he's like, her light wasn't on earlier. Like, straight up stalking behavior he's like the light is on something must be wrong goes up there she's having a baby so he delivers the baby in the hallway classy Uh gross then (laughs) she named the child garth (laughs) (laughs) look at at an it figure like He's a Garth. <laughs> Garth Brubaker. And the reason why she called him Garth is because Big Daddy named every single one of his children after a fucking country music star. <laughs> <laughs> so his name is after Garth Brooks, <laughs> which is fucking insane to me um, like what what is even happening right now um yeah so she has baby garth which like I can't even, all i picture is i feel like multiple parents have made their children be garth from wayne's world for halloween and that's all i was good year that's what i pictured i just pictured like this fucking newborn with a blonde wig <laughs> and big rim glasses. Whew. But yes, to be clear, she named him that because Mr. Daddy Brubaker named his children after country music stars. Literally, Conway is one of them. Like, after no. Conway Twitty. Yeah. No. Yeah. And then there's Buck, Patsy, Johnny, Kenny, Waylon, and Willie. And then little Hank. (laughs) So anyways, Garth fits right in like an old fucking dirty shirt. And then she finally is like, okay, he stays and helps her with the baby for a bit. And she's like, wow, this man is a billionaire and he's hanging out in this like shitty apartment above this shitty diner to be with me. He must really care about me. So I'm going to tell you the truth. I do love you. It is your baby. I did want to be with you. But the day after our wedding... I went back to work and your dad was having Holly's parents over and they were all just chit-chatting in the fucking room and I was bringing them food and one, they were talking about how they were gunning for you and Holly to get together and then they were talking about how it was such a good match because you both come from the same class and the same prestige and so I realized I would never fit in and then at one point someone was kind of saying something and then noticed that I was in the room and was like, Oh, we shouldn't say anything in front of the servant. And the mom was like, Oh, it's okay. She's a lovely servant. And then she's like, and then I realized like, I would never fit in with your family. I would always be the black sheep. I would always be seen as the person that was like the gold digger or just like took you down a peg. And so I just was like, fuck it. I'm just going to leave. And I don't need to be in a place where I'm not welcome. And he was like, Oh my God. I'm so mad. And then storms off and you're like, okay, um, you're wrong with the wrong person. Well, turns out he left to go say to Clyde, hey, Clyde, how about you take your retirement and I'll buy this diner and I'll run it 
And then that way I can be with Ella, but she doesn't have to be around my family that isn't accepting her. And so I'm going to like, I'm going to rough it and slum it by living here because I'm such a fucking benevolent soul. (laughs) And so Nosferatu, also known as Clyde, leaves and is like, I'm going to marry this widow I'm in love with and we're going to go to fucking Barbados. And he's like, bye. And then they run this little diner together, which they now um, have called (laughs) Papa Max. Papa Max Diner and Pie Shop. And then you think it's going to end. Like, I'm like, okay, this is a perfectly fine way to end. Nope. Nope. They decide. Um, they Then the next chapter comes. And I literally thought it was like an epilogue with like, she's had 14 children, all named after the Rankin family or whatever. <laughs> and <laughs> nope. It's that uh, Nosferatu came back from his honeymoon and realized he really disliked running the diner. So he buys it back and they become co-owners. And then they decide to ship their family back to the old ranch and be together there. And this was such a missed opportunity for the Brubakers to get a fucking education and privilege. And that's totally where I thought this was going. It was going to be like Max shows up and lectures his family about how they shouldn't be such fucking snobs. But no, instead it's like, oh, we meant servant in a good way and we would never want to live without you because... We love how cute and plain you are. And she's like, you do? Like, and that's how it ends. It was just the worst fucking ending because I was like, they learned nothing. They learned nothing. Um, I dislike this book heavily, as you can tell. Um, I found it funny because it was like truly every romantic book cliche you could fucking imagine um and i just pictured them with like thick texan accents and it made it even funnier uh zero out of five on the spice scale because it was like truly like a soap opera just like cut away so you have no idea what they were actually doing um and i didn't find there was any sexual tension even because it was just like hi i'm a simple girl with the brain and three teeth like that was the energy they were giving to this fucking woman (laughs) And that's, and also, I don't know about you, but I feel like we've talked about this on the show because we've done cowboys in the past, but like, cowboy, like, I wouldn't kick a hot cowboy out of bed for leaving crumbs or anything, but like, I wouldn't, like, it's not a thing. Like, do you see, like, do you, are you thirsty for cowboys? You live in Alberta. If anyone could be thirsty for cowboys, it's you. Is that a jam? Is that your jam? I would be thirsty for like a butch cow woman. Oh, cowgirl? Hell's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Give me a like, bitch in no. plaid who's like... Anytime I see if Like, I, I was sending you voice notes last week, and then a man in a cowboy hat walked by, and I was distraught. I was like, there's a man in a cowboy hat! <laughs> like, because it's fucking wild that some, some dudes will just, like, walk around with their fucking cowboy hats and cowboy boots and belt buckles, and, like, obviously have never ranched a day in their goddamn lives, but... No, I, mean, I don't. I don't have a. I don't have a vibe. You know who I have a vibe for? Farmers, farm boys. Give me some letter, Kenny. Oh, I'll, t- I'll take that. That's okay. Yeah, see, yeah. I, I think I would fuck like, a cowboy before a farmer. Like, I think I can see the appeal of cowboys from the perspective of like it's the same thing with like firefighters and stuff. Like, it's so manly that I understand the like if you're into masculinity cowboys firefighters farmers construction workers like i get why that is like a point of joy for many people but i am just such a clean freak i think that i'm like no i know yeah i'm like bro you're gonna smell like shit literally and metaphorically like no i like dusty Mm, i don't do dust Mm-mm. You know what? I can I can fuck with a cowboy or a farmer because I grew up on farms, so that's not gross to me. And I know they bathe. Like I know they bathe. They gotta. Like you don't come to dinner after mucking. Like you have to go have a shower, right? Fair. But um, I think like I I don't want a cowboy. I want an outlaw. Like oh. I want like Touché. like some guy. Like not like not like the bad gross. Like guys in cowboy movies, like not a Clint Eastwood type either, because he's like the fucking worst. But like in our books that we read, where we have like an anti-hero, yeah, yeah, who's actually like a softy, 
Ooh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Softy. And if he's an alien, so be it, right? I, I'll, yeah, it's fine. If if a if 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 a cowboy in a story, you know, they're not talking about mucking stalls, but he can like heft a woman over his shoulder because they're lighter than a bale of hay. Well, yeah. my panties are wet. What can I say? <laughs> That's gonna do it for me. But um, have I ever met a cowboy? I would fuck no. Never once. Do I know a lot of them? Sure do. Sure do. Yeah, you live in fucking Berta. And like, I grew up. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I grew up in a blue collar town. It wasn't farming and like cowboys and shit, but it was, you know, working at the mine, working at the power plant, working construction, plumbers, like that kind of shit, hunters, fishers, like all of that. And like, I can't do anything with camo, including military. <laughs> 100%. And, but the appeal of military, which I get, is like, you can be manly as shit. Like, you can be in the infantry, but you still have to show up with your beret on right, your fingernails are clean, you know, like that whole spiel. So, like, uh, I don't know. All of which to say that, like, if I maybe had, like, a cowboy fetish i might have been more into this book i mean the cover is literally a man in a 10 gallon hat and a bolo tie um (laughs) holding the stomach of a pregnant waitress so like (laughs) (laughs) uh but it did quite literally nothing for me and like literally the tagline of this book is my wife is nine months pregnant question mark (laughs) and you're like well then where the fuck have you been for Nine months. So I can't even come up with an accoutrement to go with this because there was like basically no sex and there was no spice. So Cinderella's Secret Baby. I don't even know how you would even get a copy of this book if it wasn't from a (laughs) random thrift store. Um, But do not recommend. But, you know, she did integrate some, you know, there was the slipper, (laughs) the evil stepsisters. Like there's, she tried to pull in some but it was mostly, yeah, a rags to riches story that I do not recommend. Now I'm dying to know, what was your Cinderella story? So I just want to, it sounds like you took notes because your your breakdown of this book was just delicious. <laughs> um, I thought my book was going to take me a really long time to read and I just blew through it at the office, um, like over my lunch and like stored none of it away in my brain. <laughs> So it's forgettable. Cool, cool, cool. Extremely forgettable. So mine is also from the Silhouette Romance Collection. It's part of the Lucky Charm Sisters series. And it's written by Judy Christenberry. And it's called A Ring for Cinderella. Ooh. Now mine takes place in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, And I'm going to read the back for you. Please do. Here we go. Desperately seeking Cinderella, <laughs> Susan Greenwood had expected a tip, not an offer for marriage. But how could the down-on-her-luck beauty resist when rich as a prince, Zach Lowry proposed to her in the middle of the Lucky Charm Diner? Then she got her answer. It was just a role she had to play to soothe Zach's dying grandfather. But Zach never expected his pretend wife to tie him in knots and her selfless gestures and warm embraces. And soon this cynical rancher found himself trying to find a way to make the real a real future, a real family with his Cinderella bride. The Lucky Charm Sisters, a boss, a brain, and a beauty. Three sisters marry for convenience, but will they find love? And they do. So yours was also about ranchers? Sure was. Jesus. Sure was. The Lowry Ranch. That's why I read the International Harvester song at the beginning of of the show. Wow. Okay. Okay. Plower. <laughs> I don't know what kind of ranchers they are. It never says. They could be horses. They could be like sheep. Hay. <laughs> like I don't fucking know. Okay. So Susan is like she's not a waitress, but she like does the I don't know, fucking PR or something for her sister's cafe. Now Susan. 
was like the found sister of Kate and Maggie. They found out their dad had like a love child and it's Susan. Susan's mom, I don't know her backstory, but she made bad choices and now she's dead. And so Susan is raising her younger brother and sister. There's Paul, who's like, oh, eight. And then her other sister, who's in like 18, 19, is in college. So Susan's paying for college. She's raising these kids. She was raising them as infants because her mom was absent. And so she's continuing to do this. But she's also like extremely stubborn. So while her sisters, Kate and Maggie, own this diner that belonged to their father and have married for convenience, but are very wealthy now. She will not take handouts. She'll do everything on her own. Now, as a woman who has lived in extreme poverty and still does, take the fucking handouts. Like, I get it. It's hard. But these are your sisters. And, like, they're taking their man's money. It's fine. Get let, they let them, let them give you their man's money. Okay. So one day, um, the waitress at the cafe is on her break. So Susan's going around and topping up coffee. And Zach's like, hey, you're really cute. Um, I have a proposition for you. Would you pretend to be my fiance because my grandfather, Gramps Pete, has had a major heart attack in his diet. His only wish is to see me get married. And this would mean a lot to him if he if he could meet you. It's just a game of pretend. And she's like, no, man. And he's like, I will give you $10,000 to do this. And she's like, well, that would help me pay like tuition and stuff. And she's like doing the math in her head. She's like, might be able to buy Paul some clothes for school. Okay. So it gives her 5000 And she's like, that's great. So she has no intention of taking the rest of the money because 5000 is fantastic. And she's helping, right? So Zach's just like, yeah, she's perfect. This is great. So they make plans to go and meet his grandfather. Um, But then when he goes to pick up Susan, she's got her little brother. And so Zach's like, oh, my God, she has a kid. And they're like, whatever. Well, I have to bring him. I don't have a babysitter. And she never corrects him at this at this point. And now Zach, who is this like really well-known, like he's a famous rancher. He's a playboy, whatever. He at first is just like, I need to do this really nice thing for my grandpa. And he like propositions this woman. He offers her money like she's not doing any of those things but we learned that zach had a very contentious divorce with a gold digger Mm. and because of that even though he brought up this ridiculous thing to this woman he's like she's only in it for the money it's like because you offered her money you offered her a tremendous amount of money and then meanwhile like he goes to her apartment he's like this place is a fucking dump and he's like, this place isn't safe. And he's like judging everything. She's like, please, please stop judging my home. Like, anyway, it goes on like that where he's like asking her to do things. And then it's like, she only wants my money. And it's like, stop offering it to her then, you piece of shit. You're rich. Like, what do you want? So she, he takes her to meet the grandpa. And he's like, the grandpa loves her. And then he meets, like, he brings the little boy, and the grandpa loves the little boy. The little boy's like, can I call you Gramps? And he's like, sure thing, kiddo. And so now this little boy's like, I have a grandpa. Hooray. Um, so he goes back to the apartment, and, like, across the hall, there's, like, a Spanish family. And they're best friends. It's like it's like Manuel or Miguel and and uh, the little boy. They're best friends. So he's like, I have a grandpa now suck it like he just like is so into it and then um grandpa pete's like wow zach i really liked susan and her little boy when are you guys getting married i would love it if you would get married here in this hotel in this hospital room i'll handle everything and he's like okay so he tells susan we got to get married and she's like what and he's like no no like we gotta get married like She's like, not for real, though, right? We're just pretending. And he's like, no, like, my grandpa's bringing our pastor over from town. And so it's going to be for real. But, like, don't worry. Like, you don't have to. We don't have to have sex. We don't have to do anything like that. But I need you to sign this prenup because you are not getting my money. She's like, fine, whatever. And so he, uh, they get married. They get for real married. And she signs a very illegal prenup. Meanwhile, her sisters find out about this guy. Right. And they always Susan's, do. They always yeah, do. Susan, 
Susan's like not wearing her wedding ring and he's like, what are you doing? You're not making it look real. And she's like, it's not real. Like, what are you talking? It's not real. And he's like, yeah, but like, this is what I'm paying for. I'm paying for this. And she's like, man, like, let me do my fucking job. And so they get married and then Zach takes like her little brother and his best friend on this big shopping spree. And then like Susan's like, I'll pay you back for all of this. Like I have to. And then like the mom of the other kid is just like, I can't afford this. And she's like, I have two other kids. Like, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, don't worry about it. Just say it's a Christmas present. She's like, oh, okay. You're really generous. Thank you. But like, he has no concept of like, you can't give one kid in a poor family gifts and not the other ones. Like he doesn't fucking get it. And nor did he offer to go get presents for the other kids. Right. Loser. Piece of shit. Loser. Yeah. So, um, grandpa Pete goes into surgery for his heart. And wouldn't you know it? He bounces back with a vengeance and he's doing fantastic. So he's not going to die anytime soon. So their marriage has to go on. <laughs> um, so Zach has to go meet the sisters and they're like, their husbands are like executives and lawyers and shit. They're like, you know, that prenup's not legal. And they're like, what's your, what's your deal? And so he becomes good friends and he's like, why haven't you guys done anything to get her out of that shitty neighborhood and that shitty house? And they're like, we've tried, but she won't take our money. She's really proud. And then he finds out that like the little boys, her, her brother and that she's like, been raising her siblings and she's paying for everything he's like oh my god maybe she's actually beautiful on the inside too this has never been about money for her but i'm still not convinced and then grandpa pete's like well it's time to get the family to the ranch i'm all better now so what does this guy do this guy is like susan you and paul your little brother need to come move to the ranch and she's like i have a job and I'm raising my family. This is what I do. I'm not moving to your ranch to keep up appearances. And he's like, but you have to. She's like, I'm not doing that. Like, this has gone too far. I'm not okay with this. And like, yeah, she finds him handsome. But like, she's she's thought she was doing him a favor. And she's like, I wouldn't have even taken money. I would have helped you with this. He's like, I don't believe you, you gold digger. So here's how he tricks her into going to the ranch. So the Mexican family across the hall are very upset one night and it's because the father has lost his job and zach's like i'm a fixer what's your trade and he's like i'm a carpenter he's like i might have work for you so he offers that family a job like room and board and stuff at his ranch so that paul will want to go be with his friend and so at that point She's like, I can't say no to this. Like, because she's lost her child care. He took her child care away. And like her little brother's best friend in the whole entire universe is going to be gone. Right. So she's like, I guess we can move to the ranch until the end of the school year. And he's like, perfect. So he moves them on. Then we find out that Grandpa Pete knows that their marriage is a sham. <gasps> So he's also just fuck letting it happen because he's like, I still want to see you settle down and have babies. Nah, nah, nah. And he's like, you got to put some babies in Susan. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, we are not sleeping together. Like, we don't do that. That's not what this deal is about. And he's like, well, you better find a way to seduce her. And he's like, okay, Grandpa Pete, whatever you say. And in the book, he's like, Grandpa Pete taught me how to be a man. And I'm like, really? Like, a, like obnoxious, aggressive coercion is how you learn how to be a man. Okay. So they move out to the ranch and she's like, I'm still going to work. He's like, but it's 50 miles. And she's like, I'm going to do it. And he's like, you can't get there in this old jalopy. So he buys her a car and she's like, I'm going to, this is just a loan. Like she refuses to take anything extra from this man, like at all, the whole entire book. And he just like beats her down until the end. She's like, yeah, I guess I love you too. Okay. This is how we live now and so then they get parent trapped where they both get letters from the other saying like meet me at the ritz carlton at this time here's where something fancy and it turns out grandpa pete set them up so they get parent trapped and then they're like but i do love you i loved you this whole time <laughs> and then uh it's like their anniversary in the epilogue and she's pregnant and they're at the hotel again like 
That's the book. But the whole entire book, at no point is she like, you know what? I think I could settle for this. This is all right. I love him. I love him. Like never, never. The whole book, she's like, please, oh my God, stop. Like, please let me live my life. Like, no, I will not take these things from you. I was doing you a favor. And like, he's constantly kissing her because like, well, we got to make it convincing. And she's like, well, then if you have to kiss me, only do it when people are around. There's no reason for you to do it when they're not. Like, she is not like pretending all the time. Like, she's not falling for it. Like, for her, it's the job. And she's doing it so she has extra money for her family. And he just decides at some point, like, no, this is the real deal. This is it. And that's the book. And I and like I, I actually did take notes, but I left my notes at my office. But some of the things he says, it's so misogynist. And he's like, how could she only have like four sets of clothes? I'm like, because she's fucking poor and she's obviously not materialist. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's crazy. So like, I'm going to assume there was no spice in your book. No, I mean, they do fuck at the end, but it's, like, one of those, like, really slow burns, and they finally, like, they're like, I love you, but I love you, and then they're like, I need you to be inside of me, uh, and then it's like, I'm gonna read that part, actually, because it's very funny. Um, no, it was not spicy. Um, I, they're not, No, and here's the thing is, I think this is the last time I'm gonna read, like, a Harlequin romance. <laughs> That's not like I will read. I will continue to read the wacky, like really fucked up ones from the 60s. Mm-hmm. That's not going to stop. But I'm not going to read any more Harlequin romances between the years of 1990 and 2004. I'm not doing it anymore because okay. it's the same thing all the time. They're like, it, it's like it's too new. Like it's too fresh in my lifetime for it to be this misogynist. Absolutely. Like, like my book's from 1999, and I'm like, really? Like, no wonder our mothers are so fucked up. Like, no wonder yeah. my DNA is, like, damaged from intergenerational trauma from our mothers thinking that this type of behavior was okay. Right? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Like, the fact that in my book, the guy's sitting in his truck outside of her house and then somehow looks like the hero because he just happened to be there when her kid was born and then like is mad at her that she left and never apologizes for how her family treated her and then yeah has to like just suck it up and move back in with these people who are like no i meant servant in a positive way (laughs) like so awful and it was like we're not reading shit from the 60s like i was in i was starting high school in the year 2000 and this book came out in 1998 like i was already getting a period when this fucking book came out like it is not old enough for it exactly like you said like it's not old enough to let it slide it's just offensive i'm gonna say i hadn't even gotten my period yet (laughs) when this book came out and like if i had read this kind of stuff and believed that it was romantic for a man to ignore what I have to say and my boundaries and just like push me like and talk over me so much that I become hysterical and emotional and then it's my fault. Like if that's what I, thank God I was reading Ed Rice, Julie. That's all I got to say. Thank God I was reading giants, fucking witches and vampires and shit. All powerful creatures fucking each other instead of this type of bullshit because I believe, as a result of this, that it's better to be a threat to all men everywhere than subservient and allow them to beat me down. I think that's the message here. So, um, zero, zero. This not spicy, not a good story. Um, literally dissociated reading it, so I cannot remember all the parts. But I remember <laughs> I was like, for fuck's sake, like everybody take a goddamn knee. So. This is the last one I'm reading. I'm not reading another one. Um, you heard it here, era. folks. Okay. It's, it's over. Um, but ne- sitting next to this book here, I have um, Anne Rice's The Witching Hour that I also <laughs> bought at the thrift store. So I'm going to dig in all that spicy little meatball. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Hit me. <clears throat> Let me go, Zach. 
I won't let you go. I won't ever let you go. Then he pulled her against him, his lips taking hers. How could she want him so much? How could she feel the wonder of his touch when she knew she had to leave? Her mother had always given in to the physical. She wouldn't. Zack's hand stroked her body as his mouth continued to dominate over hers. Her own hands crept up his chest to lock around his neck. He lifted his mouth and returned it at another angle, asking more and more of her in response. And God help her, she responded. Wrapped in his arms, she pressed closer and closer to him, wanting more, wanting to feel him inside her, to become one with this man whose very presence tortured her senses every day. His hands left her hips to unbutton her jacket, then her blouse. She found the snaps on his western shirt to be much more efficient. In one mighty pull, she exposed his broad, muscular chest. Her hands memorized it with loving caresses. Suddenly, she realized they were moving step by agonizing step towards the bedroom. Susan knew what Zack intended. She also knew she could stop him at any time. The decision was hers, but for the first time in her life, she wanted a man, this man, with all her heart, forever. Even if he never intended to love her, she couldn't resist the temptation to give him her love unstintingly. With a whimper as his lips left hers, she didn't fight their progress. In fact, she pulled his shirt out of his pants and shoved it down his arms. He helped by shrugging it off, dropping it on the floor, then doing the same to her jacket and blouse. The electric sparks that their touching ignited, the powerful surge of desire that filled her, numbed her to anything but Zack. The resistance she tried to maintain had melted away. When they reached the bed, Zack stopped. Susan almost cried out as he caught her by the arms and held his tantalizing lips away from her. Honey, I'm not overpowering you, am I? Do you want this as much as I do? Yes, she whispered. One word was all it took to make Zack dismiss any qualms, but Susan wasn't complaining. She'd saved herself for this moment to become one with the one man in the world she loved. Even if he didn't love her, at least he made her feel as if he did. Zack was an artful lover, teasing her, encouraging her, touching her. She loved the feel of his hands on her body and returned the favor as much as she could. He was so strong, so loving. When he was finally ready to enter her, Susan was so beside herself with need, with hunger, that she pleaded with him to take her. He did, and gasped her name, Susan. The pain was minimal, the joy of communion immense. Yes, please, Zack. His lips took hers again, as they, and they mated, as lovers do. But Susan didn't think anyone could ever have experienced such incredible happiness. That's the end of the paragraph. And then it just says, her first time. Oy, that's it. That's, that's it. it. That's a Ooh. lot. I got the vapors. <laughs> you got something. Well, it's actually perfectly on brand. We're going to continue with this dynasty vibe. And I'm going to read you a little chunk of my book where Ms. Alan McCleskey talks about her evil stepsister and her evil stepmother. Are you ready? I'm born ready. So this is very, very early in the book. They've just met in the kitchen. Big Bertha is... um, (laughs) overseeing this discussion um with them and so they sort of she makes them some lunch and they kind of sneak off into a corner and he's eating lunch and she's sort of talking about her life well my mother oh i should do an accent well my mother passed when i was just a baby complications from childbirth ella gave her head a slight shake according to my father she never regained her strength after i was born i'm sorry mac murmured me too. Her smile was wistful. Anyway, heartbroken, my father returned with me to Southern California. So it's just the two of you? No. Just before I entered my teens, my father decided I needed a mother and some siblings. So he married my stepmother and adopted her two daughters. Mac grinned. Was she an evil stepmother? Ella froze. He was teasing. Unfortunately, he really didn't know how close to home he was hidden. A solemn expression of contrition crossed his face. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to pry. No, no, I know. It's just that... She paused. He would make a wonderful interviewer. 
Suddenly, she wanted him to know every ridiculous detail of her rather dysfunctional family life. It must be the light of understanding in his expression. Or perhaps it was the twin dimples that spoke of a lifetime of good humor. She took a deep breath. He seemed genuinely interested. What the heck, she decided, and with a shrug, gamely plunged in. She so rarely had anyone show this kind of interest. Perhaps it would be good for her. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of my stepmother? Stormy Winters? For <laughs> Oh yeah, her fucking name is Stormy Winters. <clears throat> For years, she played Delilah Chastain on the soap opera Secret Lives. Oh. Delilah Chastain! Angling his head, Mac regarded her as she programmed the microwave. By the way, the lunch that she made him was Campbell's fucking tomato soup and a grilled cheese. I'm like, bro. Oh. And she made it in the right, microwave. Though. She didn't even make it on the stove. I was like, fuck that shit. How do you put grilled cheese in the microwave? No, That's she made the soup in the microwave. Oh, yeah, okay, that tracks. That's fine. <laughs> no, I was like, That's make how, it on the stove. Mama used to make it. <laughs> yeah, but like, make it yourself. Don't get the fucking maid to do it. So That's why you pay for a maid, though, Julie. <laughs> to, to fucking program the microwave? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. If I'm paying no, for if a, I maid, a maid. I, if I finally found a way to hire a maid, I would do nothing. I'd be like, I'd be like, uh, Bertha, <laughs> could you please microwave me some Campbell's tomato soup? And she'd be like, right away. Just fucking so, full Sabbath every day. You're like, I can't lift a finger. Yeah, um, so anyways, no, don't apologize. <laughs> I just was like, she's like, I'll make you some lunch. And I'm like, the whole point of having a cook and like a fucking fancy pastry chef is I would have been like, I would like some croissants, please. Or some pain au chocolat. He's like, can I have a grilled cheese and some tomato soup? I'm like, because he's a baby man. He's That's absolutely indicator. exactly it. So he goes, Delilah Chastain, <laughs> angling his head. Mac regarded her as she programmed the microwave. Isn't she the psychopath who ran over her ex-husband's first wife with his Ferrari or something like that? Open mouth. Ella stared at him. Very good. Do you watch Secret Lives? No. Bertha did back when she worked weekdays. He pointed at the television that sat on the countertop in the corner. Oh, no. Ella stuck out her tongue in distaste. So, what was life like with Stormer Winters? Well, Ella said over her shoulder as she dug the griddle out of the appliance cupboard. Let's just say that she and Delilah Chastain have a lot in common. Really? She doesn't own a Ferrari, does she? No, she responded with a grin. And it's a good thing, or I probably wouldn't be standing here talking to you. Mac grimaced in sympathy. Ooh, that bad, huh? Yep. She wouldn't go into detail about Stormy's myriad abuses. That was all in her past. Despite her stepmother's gloomy prophecy to the contrary, Ella knew that she would succeed in life on her own. No one would ever tell her otherwise. <laughs> Are you ready? You said she had two daughters. Mm-hmm. Ella hummed as she oiled the griddle and assembled the cheese sandwiches. Phoenix and Arizona. Oh. <laughs> Phoenix and Arizona, his jaw dropped. Man, and I thought Big Daddy gave us some strange names. Stormy had a flair for the dramatic in everything she did. Besides, Mac isn't that strange of a name. Mac grinned ruefully at her. <laughs> Merle. After Merle Haggard, Ella's, <laughs> <laughs> Ella's lips curved. He named all nine of us kids after his favorite country singers. Holding up his fingers, Mac ticked them off by her edification. Conway is my older brother and goes by the nickname Brew. He was named for Conway Twitty. Oh my. Yeah. He had more than his fair share of fistfights in school over it, but I think it made him tough. Mac dimpled. Then after me, there's Buck and Patsy and Johnny and Kenny, the twins Waylon and Willie, and last but not least, little Hank. <laughs> wow, that's a that's a big family. Yep. So are Phoenix and Arizona your only sisters? Uh, and I just realized. Oh yeah. Okay, wait. No, I didn't fuck it up. Okay, so he says, "Yep." So are Phoenix and Alabama your only sisters? Arizona, Ella responded. Phoenix and Arizona. Yes, after my father passed away, it was just the four of us. An amused quirk tugged at his mouth. That's 
That's classic. The evil stepmother and the two ugly stepsisters. I know it sounds cliche, but as a family unit, we were anything but typical. And besides, I never said they were ugly. Cinderella's Secret Baby by Caroline Zane. Forget it. Because I certainly will. <laughs> you know what, though? All I could, like, your accent sounded like, like, Forrest Gump, like, Greenbow, Alabama. 1,000%. At one point, I thought to myself, what is this giving right now? And I'm like, I'm giving shrimp boat captain realness. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm giving Lieutenant Diane. <laughs> Janae, <laughs> that's what I was <laughs> uh, So, okay, we've established uh, Cinderella tropes damaging um, silhouette romance from the 90s, not progressive enough. Renee's never going to read a Harlequin ever again. So tell us, Renee, let's end by telling the folks what they can anticipate in our next episode. What is our next theme? Greek. <laughs> Whatever that it could be about a hero sandwich. It could be about <laughs> sorority and fraternities. It could be about I don't know Zeus. I don't know whatever feels right. Okay, all right. I um have a sneaking suspicion that you have a book in mind. Um, oh, I sure do. I do not. Um, but. I'm excited. I'm excited for where this can take us. Um, it'll hopefully be a real good shift from this week because uh, not great. And I also I kind of wanted some spice. So I'm going to try to seek something spicy for next week. That's my mission. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But as always, highly recommend folks go and check us out on Instagram because the covers for this week... Whew. They are spectacular. So you're going to want to go and follow us on Instagram to see the covers there because they are as, well, mine is anyways, as cliched as they come. Before um, you sing us out, can I tell you a joke? Absolutely. Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> sure. What, <laughs> what did the egg say to the boiling water? I don't know. What did the egg say to the boiling water? I don't know if I can get hard. I just got laid this morning. Did she get that with like a hubba bubba fucking stick of gum? Like, where is this from? I think I saw it in like a reel or something. And I thought it was so silly. But so I wrote it in my notepad. And I discovered it today. Every time I read it, I just start laughing. It's so good. It's It's so stupid. It's so dumb. You know, and I I wish I could have told this joke last week because we could have used a little egg humor. But uh, here we are. Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's the level of maturity you can expect from us on this show. You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome, fans. so good please rate and review (laughs) (laughs) tell your friends follow us on social media and then i'll follow it up by singing terribly in your ear and then you'll be like why am i not listening to this every day i mean you can we have a hundred episodes now episodes thank genuine sincere thank you to everyone who has followed along on our little wacky ravage love journey that started the start of the pandemic and I mean, obviously, huge thanks again to Josh, who has been producing the show from the jump. Um, We don't get paid. We don't pay him. He's just a good dude who's like since went on and made a whole person and is still, you know, takes the time to uh, produce our podcast. So thank you so much to Joshua. And thank you so much to our listeners. And as always, thanks so much to you, Renee, for really enduring you braved another Harlequin to never do it again. And I'm just really proud of you that you made it this far. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. It's 100 episodes and it's my official retirement. Freedom 55 from Harlequin Romances. You heard it here first. <laughs> Incredible. Want to sing us out? Sure do, bud. 
Ravage love. Ravage love. Bye. Bye. Artwork for the show is created by Karen McKnight. Very special thanks to Josh Shenfield for production assistance. You can find Josh on Instagram at Fushigiyami. That's F-U-S-H-I-G-I-Y-A-M-I on Instagram. Connect with us at Ravage Love on Instagram and Twitter, or by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com. 